3: From our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Don't give in, don't give out,
2: don't give up.
0: This is now the fifth time my name has been on the ballot in less than two years for the same doggone job.
4: I want to get to the reason I'm here and the reason you're going to vote for me because I'm going to be your champion.
3: Bloomberg Sound On.
4: Politics, policy, and perspective.
3: From D.C.'s top
4: name. Thousands of people facing off with hundreds of police. The White House supports the right of peaceful protest. Bloomberg
3: Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The lame duck starts to quack. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as lawmakers return to Washington with their to-do lists. But will anything get done? We're joined this Monday after Thanksgiving by Greg Valliere, the chief policy strategist at AGF Investment. Big questions about government funding as we move into the new year. Later, thousands of protesters take to the streets across China. We'll discuss the political fallout and what it will mean for China's COVID-0 policy with Craig Singleton of the Foundation of Democracies. Our signature panelists here, Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, with analysis on our top stories, including the Senate runoff in Georgia and Donald Trump's dinner date with a white supremacist. We've got a lot to catch up on after the weekend. Lawmakers coming back into town after the long Thanksgiving weekend, and I hope you had one. With some important business to handle here, the lame duck gets real starting now. And while everyone seems to have a list... It's funny, right? On both sides, a list of things likely not to happen. Let's start by circling December 16 on our calendars. That's when government funding runs out, right? And that's where we start with Greg Valliere, AGF Investments Chief U.S. Policy Strategist. It's great to have you, Greg. Greg, I hope you had a great holiday. And I'm wondering how this is going to work out here in a couple of weeks, if we're talking about a potential government shutdown or if it's the opportunity for a deal.
2: Well, first of all, great to be with you, and I would say the next several weeks are going to be crazy. Very hard to predict, maybe some uncertainty for the markets. I'd say the first thing that we're going to have to focus on is a railroad strike. It's mm. possible by the end of next week, some of the union's deadlines will be hit. So before we get into a budget showdown and all this other stuff, yep. they have to find some way to finesse a railroad strike, and then we get into all the big spending stories.
3: Assuming they can- avert this thing does marty walsh have one more in him when you talk about you know the issues at hand that these rail workers are going through we we discussed it quite a bit on the show last week this is not just as easy as throwing in you know another day off or something it looks like
2: absolutely it's over not money but it's over uh, time off sick leave things like that, that has the unions very upset. Earlier in September, Joe Biden got involved. I don't think yep. he's involved that much this time. So it'll be a cliffhanger.
3: Well, was seen as a win then when we had a tentative deal. Uh, yep. So, look, I, he could certainly make that happen again, assuming that we don't have a rail strike on our hands, which I realize is a game changer. Is government funding uh, a clean CR kicked into the next Congress? Everyone seems to be ready to pile onto this thing. But very few of the ideas seem realistic.
2: Yeah, you hear that. But I think they'll make a a good-faith effort. I I don't think there's anything magical about December 16th. I think there'll be still another so-called continuing resolution that could get us right up to Christmas Eve. It's happened before, and it could be Christmas Eve before we get a deal. I think there will be big parts of this bill that will have to be deferred until early twenty three.
3: That includes defense uh, spending here, right? Lloyd Austin is upset about the idea of a continuing resolution beyond, you know, this quick-term thing. But if this goes well into next year, uh, with the war in Ukraine underway, our own needs here in the United States to replenish our stockpiles, uh, we can't just keep, you know, printing the same budget, right?
2: You're right. And and I think the biggest issue of all, as you say, is Ukraine. Uh, there are growing numbers of Republicans who are lukewarm at best of spending another $37 billion that the White House wants to spend on Ukraine. So that could easily get punted into next year, along with several other issues, including, as you say, the defense budget. I mean, the defense companies will get their money, but they won't get it right away. Hmm.
3: Well, there's the, the, the point of leadership here as well. It came up on all the Sunday shows. I don't know if this is a worthwhile conversation because there really isn't anyone to run against Kevin McCarthy. Uh, but listen to Congressman Mike McCall. He's in, in the Republican leadership here or will, will be uh, as part of the new majority on ABC this week.
4: What's the alternative here? You know, Kevin has uh, proven to be the leader of the Republican House. And uh, I do think he will get the votes to 218 on January 3rd. There's
3: quite a bit that happens between now and then, though. Uh, Greg yeah, Valier, what I, does it look like? What kind of a deal does he need to cut with the Matt Gates, et ceteras of the world?
2: Well, Joe, I, hopefully you know. I try to be in the middle of the road. I'm not an ideologue, but I'm yeah. sorry. Kevin McCarthy is not a real leader if he doesn't speak out about Donald Trump having a meal with a, a Holocaust-denying racist, anti-Semite. And if we can't see Kevin McCarthy stand up on that one, I think he loses a lot of credibility. Wow.
3: How about that? Uh, this is the dinner with uh, Fuentes, right? Uh, Nick mm-hmm. Fuentes and Kanye. Yep. Donald Trump uh, claims, at least, he didn't know who Kanye had brought with him to dinner. You don't believe that?
2: Well, it's either ignorance or just a total lack of any kind of oversight. I mean, the former president has to have his guests screened. Maybe he wasn't screened, but at the least there has to be an apology. And mm-hmm. whether it's McCarthy or Trump himself, there's been no expression of regret over what they did.
3: Uh, it's been noted that a lot of Republican senators as well uh, have been pretty silent about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, this came up on, on Meet the Press with Representative James Comer, which yep. we'll have more about later. And, what you know, what was his line? He doesn't have very good taste or very good judgment mm-hmm. in dinner guests. You, yep. you you might need to say a little more than that, is your point.
2: Hey, absolutely. Let, let's see how strong a leader Kevin McCarthy really is.
3: Well, so do you think he gets to 218 or do you think this will will determine that?
2: I think by default he probably does because there's no one, there's no one else who would be a logical uh, House Speaker right now. But he's, he's going to be on thin ice all through the, the spring. And there are so many big issues, as we talked about earlier, a real move against spending, uh, an attempt to maybe look at Social Security and trim that a little bit. I mean, there's some big, big issues, and uh, I don't see anybody, frankly, who's going to take, take the reins.
3: Interesting. Uh, The idea of an assault weapons ban uh, was banned about quite a bit on the Sunday morning talk shows, and it has been quite a bit lately because the president has been promising, saying once I did it once before, I'm going to do it again in this new Congress. We're going to reinstate the assault weapons ban. But, you know, when you're hearing from Senator Chris Murphy that there still are not 60 votes for such a thing, he talked about this uh, on CNN, I believe, and he actually had a lot to say about this particular issue, suggesting that states are not enforcing the laws that are already on the books. Here's what he said. I think we have to have a conversation
1: about whether we can continue to fund uh, law enforcement in states where they are refusing to implement these gun laws. I'll talk to my colleagues about what our approach should be to this problem, but 60% of counties in this country are refusing to implement the nation's gun
3: laws. We've got to do something about that. And he's suggesting uh, limiting or somehow uh, changing funding for these police departments that are not uh, enforcing laws on the books. Uh, Greg Vallier, coming off of the defund the police movement, the confusion that that led to in the case of many Democrats who actually didn't believe that, including the president. Mm-hmm. Is is this the direction we're really going in here with an incoming Republican majority in the House?
2: I'd say two things very quickly, Joe. Number one, it's unlikely we'll get anything but Joe Biden's had a pretty good uh, stretch the mm-hmm. last uh, 8 or 9 months he's gotten a lot done so you can't totally uh, rule him out in getting something on this. You know the other th- uh, thing I'd say is that this could in be in the a lame state...
3: duck before you go on though Greg yep. is that in the lame yep. duck session?
2: perhaps. I don't think he'll get it. I think it's, it's too complicated to get right before Christmas. Yeah. But he, I think he's going to go after it uh, later in the winter. And the other point, Joe, I'd make is I think this is going to become more of a state and local issue. I think a lot of states will throw up their hands and say, we're not going to get a federal bill, so we're going to move on our own.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned Representative James Comer. He was asked about this on Meet the Press and, and was shown statistics uh from chuck todd that debunks this claim that states that have stricter gun laws have more gun deaths uh and his reaction was fascinating listen to james comer if you have more gun laws on the books as a state you have fewer gun related crimes uh gun related deaths that has been proven statistically
4: well In places like rural America, where just about every other household uh, exercises their Second Amendment rights, there aren't a lot of crimes in these areas. And I think one reason is because uh, potential criminals know uh, that uh, these people are exercising their Second Amendment rights.
3: Suggesting that rural America is almost its own state, uh, (laughs) Greg, and one that, you know, clearly the the uh, the people of Washington don't know about where, where is this argument right now? I, it, it's it's difficult to tell who's being serious, who's having a serious conversation when you hear answers like that in the face of data.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's factually inaccurate uh, to, to make the assertion that we just heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's going to be awfully hard to get done. I mean, one of the things the Democrats are going to regret for decades, maybe, is the fact that they got stuck with a label of defund the police. Yeah. I understand that Biden didn't believe in it, and a lot of Democrats didn't, but they can't shake the label. And because of that, it's going to be really hard to get a bill done.
3: So when we step back and look at this time period... You see, uh, likely a CR moving us into next year. Maybe there's a hiccup around Christmas Eve. You see Kevin McCarthy uh, most likely being elected to be the next speaker. And then what happens the next two years,
2: Greg Vallier? Nothing? Probably nothing. I'm in a minority that says the Georgia race is really important, because if Herschel Walker loses, and it looks like he is going to lose, that, that sort of neutralizes Joe Manchin, if that makes any sense at all, mm, yep. because the Democrats won't have a, an absolute tie. They'll have a majority of one, and that could make a difference.
3: We'll see how Kirsten Cinema feels about that, right? Yeah, exactly. There, there were a couple of turns, though. One senator would have made the difference. Two would have made... All of the difference. And we'd be talking about this build back better law right now, wouldn't we?
2: Well, that's right. Absolutely. But I think I think Manchin is going to get checkmated here and he's going to face a really tough reelection fight in West Virginia.
3: Fascinating. Uh, Greg, it's great to talk to you and, and come back soon. Greg Valliere of AGF Investments. To get us started here, the view from the chief U.S. policy strategist at AGF which means we need to bring the panel in next. We'll do that with Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, both coming off the long Thanksgiving weekend. And a lot to talk about here, not just Congress coming together for the lame duck session, but also, as Greg said, that race in Georgia. We're going to zero in with a lot more said, a lot more time and money spent on the campaign trail over the weekend. Senator Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. will do that next with Rick and Jeannie on the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry
0: and Media City Qatar, and premier sponsor QB. Join heads of state influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com.
3: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Fascinating numbers to see early voting from over the weekend in Georgia. And it's always interesting to look back And get a sense of where things were in the last runoff. Because, you know, we've done this a couple of times already here. Uh, There actually was a legal fight over whether they'd be allowed to do early voting on Saturday. Well, 70,000 Georgians turned out to vote Saturday. Uh, They came out in force again on Sunday. Another 86,000, nearly 87,000 people voted. You add in the 15,000 mail ballots accepted so far... And it's almost 182,000 voters cast ballots by the end of the weekend. By comparison, more than 200,000 people had already submitted a mail ballot on the first day of really voting in Georgia's last runoff election. That's the last time we went through this. Let's assemble our panel here. Rick and Jeannie are with us off the long weekend. It's great to see Rick Davis and Jeannie Shansino, Bloomberg Politics contributors, who make up our signature panel Rick, Georgia right now. Interesting. Raphael Warnock did not even, uh, or or, I'm sorry, Herschel Walker did not campaign over the weekend. Raphael Warnock was out in force. And I wonder what that tells us about the strategies on the ground for each campaign.
4: Yeah, my guess is that uh, Herschel Walker is trying to figure out how to campaign for the next couple of weeks. Um, You know, he's had a lot of, uh, I would say, self-inflicted wounds uh, over the last month. And uh, since the uh, since the election was over, and, and so I'm, I sus- my suspicion is that he's sort of hunkered down trying to figure out, like, how is he going to sprint to the finish? And mm-hmm. and and kudos to Warnock for getting out ahead of him and using a, a good weekend, um, you know, where some people would think, ah oh, you know, campaigning on Thanksgiving weekend is uh, inappropriate. But the reality is people are voting, as you pointed out, and in yeah. large numbers. Right. And so why not be out there among them, you know, stoking it up?
3: What do you think about this, uh, Genie? the The incumbent is working harder on the campaign trail, it seems right now, uh, than his challenger.
0: That's right, you know, and and there is a school of thought which says, and I agree with your last guest, um, this race matters a good deal. It doesn't decide power in the Senate, but it's critically important for Democrats, and that may be reflected here. And also, I think Rick has a point that, you know, Walker has had a lot of self-inflicted wounds, probably trying to figure out how to go out. And Warnock has a really focused message here, which is a message about the lack of competence on Walker's side and the fact that character does matter, and he has gone out on that message, and he is sticking with it. And we also should remember that they are fighting for a very narrow pool of voters. Most voters' minds are made up. It's about those 200,000 voters who split their ticket that the Walker campaign and the Warnock campaign need to go after. And we see, you know, as a surrogate, Kemp trying to pull them back to his side, and Warnock making a concerted effort to say, you may be a Republican and you may be attracted to a to a Kemp, but you certainly can't believe that Walker is fit to serve in this office.
3: I know you liked uh, Raphael Warnock's focus group ad uh, that came out over the weekend. It certainly was shared quite a bit on social media, whether this is I'm assuming it's a real focus group, but they, you know, you've got people here sitting, you see them one by one sitting with headphones on uh, and reacting to the things they're hearing. If you listen to this broadcast every day, you heard everything from Herschel Walker that ended up in this ad. Uh, you know, beginning with the vampires and the werewolves and all that. Listen.
4: What the hell is he talking about? Is he serious? Is he for real? But I'm going to tell you something that I found out. A werewolf can kill a vampire. Did you know what that? What is he talking I never about? I so I didn't want to be a vampire anymore. I want to be a werewolf. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> He's talking about vampires
3: and werewolves right now. <laughs> yeah, you're serious about this, right? Okay, so, look, we could have kept on going. It's like three minutes long. A lot of material there, Rick. Uh, if this stuff isn't already making up people's minds, though, is this is this just for fun? Is it a fun campaign stunt or does this get to the two hundred thousand people that Jeannie mentioned?
4: Well, uh, yeah, certainly that's a target group. Uh, these are, uh, you know, Governor Kemp voters who did not vote for uh, Herschel Walker um, and, and and likely didn't vote for Warnock either. So, yeah, they yeah. they would be in play probably for Republicans only. So can you get them out and where can you convince them to, to vote for Herschel Walker is the attempt. But look, as I said, you know, these are the kinds of things that were tested in that ad, tested, I use that in quotation marks, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> we're, were pretty bad faux pas, right? I mean, like, and, and, and what's really interesting is they're faux pas to all of us, but I don't think Herschel Walker thought they were faux pas. I mean, maybe right, there was some yeah. deep meaning in being a werewolf. I don't know. But
3: <laughs> Well, that's uh, when he was really starting to really come out... Uh, in in full character on at the an ad lib at the podium, right? Genie, this was he. I think Rick is right here. He thought he was starting to hit his stride at this point, and now it's the target of, you know, quite a quite a, a little advertisement here.
0: Well, as you know, Joe, I loved this ad because, you know, we had been on the air a few weeks ago and every once in a while you would say, hey, Jeannie, can you interpret what <laughs> what Walker is saying? And I was at a loss of words. I could have been in that focus group saying, what the heck? <laughs> well, I won't say the other word. What the heck is he talking about? Because I could not make any sense of it. So I think the ad is incredibly not just funny, but it's, it's incredibly effective because yeah. it's where many voters find themselves because you're hard pressed to understand understand what he is talking about. And again, it underscores the issue. He is not fit for this office. As Obama said, he may be a great football player, but being great at football doesn't mean you would be a great U.S. senator for the state yeah. of Georgia.
3: I don't know if we have enough time for this next one. Herschel Walker on the Dan Patrick show. Sometimes it's not funny the things that he's saying. Listen to
4: this. I talk about the Russian roulette. People yeah. say you're trying to kill yourself. I know that's not. No, because that's against what I believe in. I said, what it was is if you came to my house and said you want to challenge me at something. And, you know, everybody, everybody always want to challenge me. Everybody want to challenge me. It's like, why? And I said, okay, then if you want to challenge me, you're tough enough. Let me see you pull this here. Pull this trigger here. Put a bullet in and spin it. People are, you're crazy. I would take it and put it to my head and snap it. People, said, you're trying to kill yourself? No. And I don't know whether I'm just blessed, and and but I am. I've been blessed.
3: And it's just hanging out there as we head for the election. This is Bloomberg. A rare display of public anger over COVID zero. People taking to the streets, thousands in cities across China in recent days to demonstrate against the strict lockdowns, the mass testing, clashing with police in some cases, some calling for President Xi to step down. And while some have been arrested, authorities uh, have not yet responded with you know, any sort of widespread violent crackdown. People think Tiananmen when this stuff starts, of course, in China. And boy, they were careful today at the White House. Great story about it uh, on the terminal. China protests draw cautious U.S. response following Bali meeting. Remember, Joe Biden was just with President Xi. We felt like things were going well. But it's one of the most frequently asked questions today. Uh, in the news briefing at the White House, John Kirby was there. And so that's why, you know, that frequently brings up national security issues. Uh, the spokesman for the National Security Council at the White House, here's how he responded.
0: Our message to peaceful
4: protesters around the world uh, is the same and, and consistent. People should be allowed uh, uh, the, the, the right to assemble and to peacefully protest policies or laws or dictates that uh, that they take issue with. Does the White House support uh, their, their effort
1: to sort of regain uh, their personal freedoms in light of these lockdowns?
4: The White House supports the right of peaceful protest.
3: That's all I would say. And they, they came back around a lot of times. So where's this going? We wanted to speak with Craig Singleton about a senior China fellow at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. Are we still talking about this in a couple of weeks, Craig? What does President Xi do now?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, the scale and the intensity of these protests, I would say are simply too great to ignore. I suspect what we're going to see is a mix of sort of announcements aimed at mollifying some of the protesters' demands about zero COVID. This morning, for example, People's Daily, the CCP's official newspaper, ran a front page story about the need to make COVID controls more targeted and effective. But at the same time, right, Chinese security services will be keen to clamp down on future protests. Uh, We've seen some fences erected around sites of some of this weekend's protests and demonstrations, I suspect going forward, though, uh, the big problem is going to be that the CCP has not articulated a clear path out of zero COVID. And Xi Jinping has so closely staked his legacy on the notion that China's pandemic response has been better than the West. And that narrative would be really damaged, I think, if China lifted these controls too quickly and Chinese hospitals were overrun.
3: Do you think that's what President Xi actually wants to do? I mean, he's... He he tends not to be uh, moved by his people historically. Why lift the policy now?
1: I'm not sure that they're going to lift it. I think the Chinese Communist Party has enjoyed certain benefits uh, stemming from zero COVID, particularly the draconian surveillance technologies that it's been able to deploy over the last three years in real time to sort of track dissent and track the movement of people. At the same time, though, it's impossible to ignore the economic side effects here. Uh, China's economy is rapidly cooling. Yeah, there's no chance that they're going to hit their growth targets this year. And so once again, I think the biggest challenge they're facing is that the policy of zero covid is so tied to Xi's personal legacy. And he just hasn't articulated any path out that makes sense, uh, particularly at a time when most Chinese uh, nationals are not inoculated against the virus. There is no herd immunity. Uh, It really is a a, a trap of uh, Xi's own making.
3: John Kirby was asked about supply chain disruptions. He said, you know, nothing really to speak of. But we did see what happened. Uh, At the Apple plant uh, in Shenzhou, where workers pushed back against pay and quarantine, uh, you know, that that turned into a very ugly scene. Apple will inevitably feel that in its production. In fact, they're moving a lot of production uh, because of this. At, At what point is this an economic story that we cannot deny?
1: I mean, I think it already is. Uh, Widespread factory closures closures will further snarl supply chains. It will absolutely have a negative impact on U.S. shoppers and companies at the height of the holiday season. Uh, The effects of today's factory and port closures are going to be felt into 2023 as well. And I think that leads a lot of U.S. and foreign companies to accelerate nascent plans to shift supply chains away from China to other countries in Asia.
3: It's interesting to hear from john kirby on the vaccine and this is something i keep wondering like you know how come how come they're not asking for our it's not just that we're not giving it they're not asking for it here's john kirby again
4: we have not offered any to to china at this time as you know we are the largest supplier of COVID vaccines around the world uh and we have not received uh, any, any requests or any interest by china to receive uh, our vaccines
3: would not that fix this whole problem correct they had the good stuff
4: Potentially. I mean, you wonder what would
1: happen in China if the CCP had spent the last three years investing in advanced therapeutics and hospitals. Uh, I don't think it would be facing the current situation that it is. At the same time, it's politically unpalatable for Xi Jinping to accept Western assistance. He has spent the last two and a half years railing against the U.S. response, constantly pointing out that the uh, more than a million Americans have died of COVID. We don't want to be like those guys over there sort of stuff. And so I suspect that for China, um, it's just It's politically untenable to ask for the United
3: States support. Craig, thanks for coming to see us. Craig Singleton, always a pleasure from the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. Quick uh, round with our panel on this. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are here. Uh, Rick, do you see this impacting an eventual dropping of the the COVID policy? And should we start sending the vaccine over there? I mean, it's going to help everybody in the end, won't it?
4: Yeah, look, I mean, there's no indication at this stage that they're going to change anything they're doing. If anything, you know, one of the little things that people are paying attention to is Chinese coverage of the World Cup. And they're not showing people who aren't wearing masks. Right. The last thing they want their population to do is think you can go out and party with the masses. (laughs) and, And they're convincing everybody that they're they're taking their medicine. So. Uh, and I agree. I think that China to uh, agree to take U.S. technology in the form of a vaccine or a booster mm-hmm. would be a massive defeat for this administration in, in Beijing because they're yeah. they're used to telling everybody. That's we had we had all of this stuff first and, and the U.S. is actually behind us.
3: We secretly sent them the recipe. Jeannie, how do you do this?
0: Well, you know, it's just devastating, And, and there's no way for us to do anything. The vaccine is available. They will not ask for it, apparently. And let's remember what started this. An apartment fire, 10 people dead, locked into their apartments because of this COVID zero policy, and we've seen this in authoritarian regimes beyond China. We're seeing it in Iran. We've seen it in Russia, where post the pandemic or in the end of the pandemic for many of us, we are seeing populations emboldened to respond to what they see as enormous, exertions of state power in the wake of the pandemic we've seen it here to a certain extent obviously a democratic state but in these authoritarian states we are seeing it and yeah. i don't see this ending in a way that you know is going to allow xi jinping to save face on this one
4: john kirby handled it the right way today rick yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that you know, don't have very many options when it comes to, you know, sort of influencing China in and especially yeah. during a crackdown against protesters.
3: Let's say as little as possible. Rick and Jeannie up next. This is Bloomberg.
1: I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal.
3: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So it's looking like the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals is going to be the center of some important action here and and may well shut down Donald Trump's special master as the three judges on the panel express skepticism That Judge Eileen Cannon had jurisdiction to take action before an indictment, take action by applying this special master to the process, uh, which means potentially an indictment comes any time. Let's reassemble the panel. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are here. Is that how you see this happening, Rick?
4: For sure. Uh, uh, Jack Smith already has uh, some momentum. Uh, People wondered whether he was going to take some time to get started, and he didn't even take Thanksgiving off. So uh, this is the new special counsel the new special counsel and, uh, and 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 the person in charge of these prosecutions from the Department of Justice point of view. And so uh, if the 11th Circuit throws out the arguments by canon that you needed a special master, which it seemed to be leading in that direction mm-hmm. uh, as early as this week, um, that really opens the door for a prosecution, for an indictment of Donald Trump on the charges uh, that have been enumerated in, in, in this debate. So, uh, you know, I don't think we have long to find out what mysteries will unfold as it relates to uh, the special counsel's uh, Jack Smith's intent to potentially indict Donald Trump.
3: How does that impact uh, this campaign for the White House that he has formally launched, Genie, if at all?
0: Well, you know, we believe that there were a couple of reasons that he decided to announce so early and one of was one of them was to scare other people in the Republican party out of running. Mm-hmm. The other was to put the Justice Department in a position where it would have a hard time prosecuting a candidate because it's the Justice Department of Joe Biden. But of course, the appointment of a special counsel has, you know, removed it from essentially the Justice Department's control and The 11th Circuit hearing was, you know, just really an awful legal moment for the Trump team because as bad as it was the Supreme Court that last week also ordered him to turn over his taxes this essentially gave the Justice Department well the special counsel now the ability to really delve into this issue of these classified documents at Mar-a-Lago without having to deal with this special master and we know that traditionally Donald Trump has used the court to delay 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 and in this case they are getting a boost if this they rule in the way we think they will They are going to get a boost in terms of being able to delve into those documents and what happened there without having to deal with a special master. And so that'll help move this along much more quickly than we thought. And potentially Mm. we could see a decision to indict, you know, in early 2023 if they decide to do that.
3: Well, this is a big deal and one that all of our listeners uh, should keep an eye on here as we discuss a few remaining topics here on Sound On, because that's not what everybody was talking about with Donald Trump over the weekend. It's it's. Of course, probably the most important development. But after that dinner at Mar-a-Lago, that's what we're hearing about here, right? Kanye West shows up at Mar-a-Lago with this guy, Nick Fuentes.
1: This country wouldn't exist without white people.
3: There you go. Yeah.
1: And white people are done being bullied.
3: (laughs) Oh, God. As an expert on bullies, (laughs) I take issue with that. So I'm supposed to call him a white supremacist, a Holocaust denier. What's the deal? Nick Fuentes uh, now has has broken bread with Donald Trump. Thanks to yay. That would be Kanye who discussed uh, the uh, the dinner, whatever, on video after it was done.
1: Yeah. So Trump is really impressed with Nick Fuentes. And Nick Fuentes, unlike so many of the lawyers and so many people that he was left with on his 2020 campaign, he's actually a loyalist. When he didn't know what the lawyers is, you'll still have your loyalist.
3: Okay, and there's your loyalist. Uh Nick Fuentes, I guess he's got because everyone's got their own TV network, it's like he he he's with the America First Foundation. And uh, he was on uh, online talking about this at the full at the anchor desk and the suit and everything. And he just he clearly had a great time. Here he
1: is. The president, I, I don't think he does know who I am uh, or, or rather he didn't know that I was me. <laughs> Let me put it that way. I don't think he knew that I was me at the dinner. Let's put it that way. I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm going to say he didn't know me, but I I'm not sure about that. Wait, but certainly gotta... he didn't know that I was me.
3: Yeah. But he's got a wink and a smile. Donald Trump writes on Truth Social because and I know this because Jeannie told me that he dined with Ye and the rapper, quote, unexpectedly showed up with three of his friends whom I knew nothing about, unquote. He can't believe people are blown away by this one, Jeannie, I'm guessing, because he's been posting ever since.
0: He has been posting, and I spent my Thanksgiving, Joe Matthew, for you tracking for what was going on. Yep, he he called uh, Ye a seriously troubled man whose right. business was decimated, and said he showed up with three people he didn't know. But of course, we know that that's not the case. We know one of them ran his campaign in Florida, and she certainly knew Donald Trump. He certainly knew her, and you're hard pressed to imagine Donald Trump didn't know Fuentes because everybody else in the Republican leadership does, including of. Course course, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar, amongst others, who spoke at his group. And so even if you believed he didn't know him, for him not to come out and, as his former US ambassador said, to condemn them and to throw these bums out, is deplorable and vile and human scum and all the words that have been used describe them. And if people look up what Nick Fuentes has had to say, in addition to yay, the (laughs) anti-Semitism is disgusting and should be condemned. And we've seen Republicans, Asa Hutchinson, the most recent, do that. Mm -hmm. But it has been slow and it's been a slow drip so far.
3: We heard Greg Valliere weigh in on this earlier in the hour here, Rick. I know you're not surprised probably by a story like this, but does Kevin McCarthy... Need to condemn this before he can hold the gavel?
4: Well, I, I think Kevin McCarthy can't condemn it if he wants to hold the gavel. Uh-huh. That's really the pinch he's in because, you know, he needs these support of people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar, who attended white nationalist conferences with Nick Fuentes. I mean, you know, they're on his side. And wow. and so he's he, he's basically in the position where he doesn't have a vote to spare. And and he's just going to stay silent because that's the bargain with the devil. And the devil in this case is Donald Trump. And just to reiterate it, it's not about Nick Fuentes. I mean, Donald Trump is talking about meeting with his friend, Kyan West, yay, who, by the way, has just shown us the stripes that he has. And that's as an anti-Semite. And the rest of the entertainment world and the business world have ostracized him, but not Donald Trump. Well, look, and that's that's important here. Uh,
3: Nick Fuentes is so outrageous and so offensive, genie, that people forget in some cases, at least, that Kanye was just fired by Adidas and a couple of other companies. Right. He, that wasn't the only one for being uh, a full throated anti-Semite.
0: That's right. And let's not forget, Donald Donald Trump himself has recently spewed anti-Semitic remarks. So, you know, this is what Donald Trump has trafficked in. And it has been Donald Trump's approach all along. If people like me, if they'll vote for me, if they support me, then I'm all in for them. I don't care who or what they are. And that's the case here. You know, the, the, the best part of this dinner, apparently, in my mind, at least, was when Kanye West decided to, to ask Donald Trump if he wanted to serve as his vice president. <laughs> and that apparently threw Donald Trump into right. a race Age, and then he attacked his his uh, ex-wife so you know <laughs> you know it, that that was that was the most absurd but the best part of the whole dinner by reports i can't
3: tell if they're even friends or not i guess this is just you're you're in this sort of fringe circle and you want publicity so you show up at mar-a-lago rick uh but but that means anybody can get into mar-a-lago now hang out with the former president current candidate well,
4: I, I think after nick Fuentes has had dinner with him it shows anybody can go yeah. to mar-a-lago and have dinner with donald trump it's incredible
3: uh, you know, we'll see if, I guess, the Oval Office works like that. There, there, uh, of course, he's he's been there. there. There's a big conversation as well about what's happening at the RNC right now. This is all part of the the stuff that follows uh, a difficult midterm election cycle. Ronna McDaniel, the chair, is now being officially challenged by none other than the My Pillow guy. Here he is.
4: I am 100% running for the RNC chairman against Ronna McDaniel. A hundred percent. I'm all in Steve. And uh, one of the things that uh, one of the big donors said to me, he said, Mike, he said, everybody wants you to be head of the RNC. Some <laughs> of them just don't know it yet.
3: <laughs> That's, that happens to the best of us. He's talking to Steve Bannon, I believe there. Uh, look, I, I'm, I'm assuming that you guys don't think uh, Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy, is going to be the next chair of the RNC but it's not just him. Listen to uh, to Christy Nome from over the weekend talking about this issue on
0: Fox. We need to win. I mean, that's just the fact. Our, our kids' future depends on it. So uh, you know, we really all have a responsibility to message what Republican policies bring to this country. And I don't know uh, a party that can continue to lose like we have and keep their jobs.
3: The governor of South Dakota uh, sometimes talked about a potential running mate, Donald Trump, certainly a you know, a a loyal Trumper. Uh, Rick, what's happening at at your old RNC?
4: Well, uh, we used to have people who actually experienced electoral victories either in their own races or working for other people who could then replicate some of that successful uh, formulation uh, for Mm -hmm. the rest of the party. Now we have people who have never really run for anything uh, who are just fans for Donald Trump who think that the Treasury Department at the Republican National Committee is Trump's slush fund. And, and wow. that's why they're running to be uh, RNC chair, not to win elections, but to make sure Donald Trump's lawyers get fed. So I, I, I scratch my head all the time because we keep losing. We lost in 20. We lost in 21. We lost in 22. I mean, like, Does where Obama are make the we out? cut the line and say, you know, we need people who actually know how to, you know, a- actually how to run an election? Yeah.
3: Is Ronan McDaniel out?
4: Well, if Ronan McDaniel's out, Mike Lindell is in. I mean, like what we need are some candidates who actually know what they're doing.
3: Wow! And Jeannie's just sitting over there smiling, aren't you?
0: I am waiting for my free pillows and free slippers from the <laughs> right. Pillow Man.
3: Well done, uh, Jeannie. Rick, I missed you on the long weekend. Boy, we covered a lot of ground. We could keep going here. This is the fastest hour in politics. Somehow, we move on. I'll meet you back here tomorrow. This is Bloomberg.